1: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a one of a kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info
0: and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is not your grandmother's scramble. I want
1: to create magic with science for other people to be inspired by.
2: I'm Trisha Bobita. I'm Greta Johnson. And this is the Nerdette Podcast. Great episode coming up. But we're talking with Seth Reese this week. He's the head writer for The Onion.
0: We'll also talk a little bit about how we spent our weekends because I saw Thor and Greta, you... I went to a Scrabble tournament, which it turns out the world
2: of competitive Scrabble is amazing. But first, let's talk Thor. What's the deal?
0: Okay, well, I have to admit that I don't think I saw Thor 1, but I did see Thor 2 this weekend. Thor The Dark World. And it really exceeded my expectations. That is to say, I didn't have a lot of expectations. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm feeling really sort of warm and fuzzy about the Marvel Universe lately. And actually, the reason I ended up going to see this movie... I would have watched it eventually, but I wasn't going to run right out and see it until I saw what Marvel was doing with Natalie Portman.
2: So this is perfect because the Marvel Universe is one of my nerd fails. So explain it. What's, what's going on here?
0: So the world of comics isn't always known for being, shall we say, perhaps the most feminist? I get you. And, you know, sometimes the characters in superhero movies are love interests and don't get a whole lot else to do. But I think Marvel has been doing a lot better on this front in their recent films. And Natalie Portman in the Thor movies plays a fancy scientist in addition to Thor's love interest. And Natalie Portman, as many of you probably already know, is a pretty brilliant woman in real life. She's got degrees from Harvard and really loves science. So she and Marvel teamed up with the release of Thor for a really amazing contest for teenage girls who might be interested in STEM fields. And here's her explaining a little bit of why they did it. They call it STEM. It's like science, technology, engineering, and math, um, that women are underrepresented in those fields. And so they're trying to encourage girls to choose those fields of study um, more because... There's no reason, obviously, why, why they shouldn't be. Um, and that's really exciting because that's exactly what you want with these kinds of movies is they're big and they're fun. And if you can have like a little bit of impact of a young girl seeing, oh, wait, that's possible, too. Um, that would be really cool.
2: That's great. These are the sorts of partnerships that will hopefully really help kind of foster that interest in girls who are younger right now.
0: Exactly. And the thing that I love about this is it wasn't just some sweepstakes to go see the premiere of the movie. What the young women had to do if they wanted to be submitted for this contest was interview a mentor in a STEM field. And the website offers this amazing map of female scientists all over the country that they could reach out to and talk to for a few minutes about what their jobs are like. I believe in exploring every possibility, which is why I, instead of contacting one lady as a mentor, I
2: contacted six. One thing that was the same across the board was really just how enthusiastic and passionate these women were about what they did they loved their jobs i'd like to share what an amazing opportunity i had talking to the mentor i chose her sharing her life stories story was incredible i was mesmerized throughout the whole thing she was so inspiring with her words of wisdom the things she's doing are so huge, but she'd still take the time to explain such a, such a huge thing to a ninth grader in a way that I can comprehend it and I can enjoy hearing about it. You can learn from movies. You can learn from superheroes. So many doors have already been opened to
0: me through this contest. And I can't so the people who won the contest got to go to Hollywood, but everyone got to have a conversation with someone who might remain a mentor in their life, someone who's working in a STEM field. And now they have role models in science and technology that they maybe didn't have before. So I have to give kudos to Marvel and to Natalie Portman for making this come together and not making it just another sweepstakes competition, making it something where young women who were driven and interested in science got a chance to connect with other women working in science. Very cool. I live the south Chicago. By the age of six, I knew I wanted to have a STEM career. I've always
2: been curious about the world. I have a passion for computer science. Science has been and always will be my passion. I'm 15 years old, a sophomore in high school, and on my way to becoming the next Jane Foster.
1: Hi, I'm Natalie Portman. You may have seen me in Marvel's Thor, where I play Jane Foster, an astrophysicist. Now the truth is, I really do love science. And this role gave me an amazing opportunity to explore science and all its
0: possibilities. Also, the movie was just a ridiculous good time. Was it really? Yeah, it was sort of funny and it didn't take itself too seriously. And it was a perfect way to eat some popcorn and blow off steam.
2: And you think it works to just see the second one without having seen the first?
0: I got away with it because the movie gives a two-minute recap, as did the friend I was seeing it with (laughs) before we went into Thor 2. But I'd also seen all of the other Marvel movies of late and the Avengers and all these movies, so I kind of knew what was going on.
2: All right, maybe I'll dive in.
0: But Greta, if you would rather spend your weekend at a Scrabble tournament than watching a Marvel movie, I can respect that.
2: Oh my gosh, I really would. So yeah, it's funny because in the matter of a couple days, I also covered another really big story, like a national story, which is that Billy Graham turned 95 last week. And it turns out I live in the town where Billy Graham lives now. So I got to go to this birthday party. It was like this huge media thing. There were like 70 just media people there. There were 800 guests. Donald Trump was there. Rupert Murdoch was there. But I really had such a better time at the Scrabble tournament.
0: <laughs> what a lovely way of putting it. That you had two experiences that weekend, and you had way more fun at the Scrabble tournament. So that's all we need to know.
2: Yeah, it was just really fun. I grew up playing Scrabble with my family. You know, my parents are both pretty big nerds themselves, and they definitely fostered that in me and my brother But I knew pretty much nothing about competitive Scrabble, and it was really interesting. I definitely want to spend some time in a future episode talking about it more because I got a lot of really good interviews, talked to some really wonderful nerds, and I especially really loved, I got to talk to a couple teenage girls who are in the competitive Scrabble world, and they are just so cool and smart and bright and so excited to be nerds. It's really refreshing.
0: I'm the biggest of nerds, and I've never broken my glasses down the middle. I can wear a belt. I don't need suspenders. I have a tremendous respect for the world of competitive Scrabble, but I'm a little intimidated by it. As I've said in a previous episode, even Scrabble Scrabble with a great Scrabbler, is that the word we use? Scrabbler? Yep, yep. Is not my finest game. I'm a big fan of Bananagrams. I think the speed helps me make up for my lack of vocabulary, in Bananagrams. But I've just never gotten good enough at Scrabble. I think because it was one of those games where maybe as a parent, you should let your kids win once in a while. And my dad totally never did. He would just beat me by like 500 points. And I was like, this game is no fun at all.
2: That's super funny because one of my clearest Scrabble memories is my dad just totally destroying me. And I'm still really upset about it. But yeah, I mean, the thing about competitive Scrabble is it's timed, so it is a much more fast-paced game. And another thing that I learned that I haven't tried this in practice yet, but it makes a lot of sense, and it's something that I had never really thought about before, is that when it comes to the strategy of Scrabble, you have to think about the tiles that you're saving just as much as you think about the tiles that you're playing You know, like you don't want to use all five of your really good tiles on one word if that means you're stuck with like a Z and a U, because then what are you going to do with it? I
0: don't know, man.
2: Right. So, yeah, a lot of strategy, a lot of insight. We'll we'll talk about it later. But first, an interview with Seth Reese.
0: Seth Reese is head writer for The Onion, America's definitive newspaper. And the book that that staff put out, The Onion Book of Known Knowledge, a definitive encyclopedia of existing information, is out in paperback this fall.
2: This book is impressive on a couple of different fronts, namely the fact that they continued to put out The Onion, you know, on the website and the paper edition of the newspaper while getting this book together. It sounds like it was a really cool process.
1: We were putting the book together. We would just kind of, for the most part, we would come in Fridays and writers would have different takes for a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of random things. And. That was cool because it it kind of made the book feel like anything could be in it. You never know what's going to come up. But then we also knew that we had to hit certain things like World War II, Martin (laughs) Luther King. Like we knew that. So the people who were sort of in charge of managing the process were like, okay, this Friday we are just going to focus on Abraham Lincoln, William Shakespeare... Harriet Tubman or something like that. And so so we would hit those people, places, things that we knew that readers would turn to, you know? But, like, for example, the cool thing about, like, the variety of the book, you know, we have an entry for kitchen, which is actually one of my favorite ones. And uh, the entry is kitchen. If another room contains more knives than this room, get out of that house. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. So there's, like, a lot of one-liners in the book, and then there's, you know, more fuller entry, there's a lot of running jokes and an entry for every letter of the alphabet, and there's a fake letter. The book was a monster.
2: So two years it took you. That's so intense.
1: Yeah. And it was exhausting, because at the same time, we were also, you know, putting out the onion. (laughs) Um, Right, right. So the people who sort of managed this process had to figure out, okay, these people will just be on the book right now, these people will just be on the paper, so we would be sort of running to skeleton staff. In the last six months, we had two very small staffs working on either the paper or the, and I I say the paper, but, you know, it's the website or the book.
2: So one thing I noticed just briefly looking through it is that you have Mm -hmm. neither hipster nor nerd in here.
1: That's true. We don't have hipster or nerd in here. I will say on a serious note, hipster is tough to make fun of because it's been made fun of so much, you know? For example, like with Abraham Lincoln, like we knew we had to put Abraham Lincoln in the book, but we literally went through maybe like 300 takes before we settled on the one we settled on. Because Abraham Lincoln's been joked about so much. And the thing with hipster is, for example, the regular Onion paper, it's very hard to get a joke in that has the word hipster in the headline. It's very, very hard. Hmm. Because it's just a topic that's been made fun of so much, and you really have to have an interesting, fresh angle on it to do it.
2: So what are some of your um, other well, favorite here, ones?
1: Well, there's uh, here's one. There's one that I really love. Um, it's Turtle. Let me find it for you. Mm-hmm. Turtle. Reptile that carries its house on its back, and when it gets scared, it pulls its head and arms and legs inside. Whoosh! Like that. <laughs> some people say that turtles move slow, but really... Turtles move just as fast as they need to. They're special in their own special way. In what way are you special? <laughs> so is there an audio version of this book? There is an audio version of this book. And, you know, if people want to be lazy and listen to it, they can.
2: <laughs> and is it you reading the definitions as adorably as you not. just read it that is, one?
1: It is. Well, hopefully that one was read in that way, but um, <laughs> it's not. It's too very sort of academic people reading off the entries pretty
0: and awesome what I'm too.
1: sure is one of the most interesting audio experiences anyone will ever have <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay so there were a couple of others I was hoping you would read sure. HIV
1: oh okay I'd love to read HIV
2: it's a nice short one
1: <laughs> HIV if you get it in America these days and it's not because of a blood transfusion it's pretty much on you <laughs> That's a brutal one. <laughs> it's super intense, and, and there are there are a lot of brutal ones. There are definitely a lot of brutal jokes in here. I mean, the the cool thing about the book is that you know it really runs the gamut. There's some pretty intense, brutal satire, and then there's just complete silliness. Um, so there's a whole range of jokes in the book. So a lot of like palate cleansers, for example, like hibernation. Prolonged period of inactivity and suppressed metabolism among certain animals, such as the bear, during which one could conceivably get away with sneaking into its cave and petting it. (laughs) Used to conserve energy during times of limited food supply, the hibernation state makes makes it theoretically possible for someone to approach a bear in its lair and pinch its nose, have a picture taken holding up its ears, smack it fairly firmly across the face, poke it with a stick, stand on top that flexing one's muscles like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it, is not, it is also not inconceivable that one could walk up to a family of other hibernating animals, such as badgers or hedgehogs, and place little straw hats on their heads that they will wake up wearing in the spring.
2: <laughs> and then you got to just go right into Hickey.
1: Oh, I will. Hickey. Blemish often found on the neck that is created when one's lover holds a vacuum hose up to one's skin. <laughs> and, and there's also, I like high heels right after that, Formal shoe with a pointed heel, worn by women and men, to lengthen the legs and accentuate the buttocks.
2: I think that's beautiful. That's a very politically correct definition, there.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's funny because I, when the hardcover came out, I sort of didn't want to look at this book anymore after looking at it for so much time. It became like kind of horrifying. But now that we're sort of into it again, it's fun. <laughs> this is this is a fun podcast experience. Yes. Uh, here's one of my favorites. I'm sorry. And then, you, if you have a question, you can add. But uh, here's one of my favorites: Tez, fruit-flavored sugar candy dispensed from the hinged neck of a toy figurine that was blamed for a spate of incidents in the 1960s in which children slashed the throats of their friends' necks looking for candy.
2: Oh my God, that's so yeah. intense. <laughs> Oh man, I kind of wish you would just read the whole thing to me. That would be delightful i'd be I'd be totally into it. It's so much more uh people should i mean god people could buy it people who are listening to
1: this could even buy the book and do what I'm doing, but with them you know with themselves
2: so yeah Or
1: not even we're not even reading it at all and just you know buy the book
2: <laughs> as long as they buy it right
1: yeah 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 <laughs> there's so there's so many dumb ones like pettiness quality or state of being com petty?
2: <laughs> I love a good pun.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, they're all, they're, they're, they're all throughout here.
2: So I wanted to ask you a little bit too about some of your extracurricular nerd endeavors. Okay. The first thing that comes to mind is, is Matt Albee.
1: Oh my God. Right. You consider, you consider this a nerd endeavor well, and not maybe the coolest thing ever?
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. For one. <laughs> Nerdette stands by the notion that it is super cool to be a nerd. (laughs) Okay.
1: So you're saying that doing a fake Twitter account for the head writer of a fake sketch comedy show for a real show that was canceled seven years ago is not what would get you in good with jocks? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so you brought up Matt Albee, which is, for your listeners, It is a fake Twitter account. Matt Albee was the head writer of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Anybody remembers when that NBC drama came out? So Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip was the title of the television show. But the show within the show, the sketch comedy show within the show, was called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Matt Albee was the head writer of that sketch show. I have a fake Twitter account called Matt Albee 60, in which it's as if the sketch comedy show... Has continued even though that the drama show on NBC was canceled. But the whole, the Studio 60, the sketch comedy show, has its own history. Started in 1986 um, <laughs> uh, at oh, shoot, I'm forgetting the theater. I should know all this stuff. Oh, it's the Addison. It's the Addison Theater, and in the Addison Theater, so that's where Studio 60, the sketch show, is filmed. But in the Addison Theater. Uh, The NBS Radio Hour was where the NBS Radio Hour first started. And it's also uh, where Abbott Costello, (laughs) I think, (laughs) did his own first. Yes. Yes, (laughs) it is. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen the first season of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, I would say, probably eight to ten times.
2: (laughs) The only season, unfortunately. Yeah. You know what I would really love is to record you reading some of your tweets as Matt Albee. That would be pretty delightful.
1: Oh, that's, well, I have to say that's an honor to hear. <laughs> for,
2: really? For, really? Was yes, that the right no, word?
1: It really, it, no, it is. It is because, you know, it's not like, for example, my parents don't really know what the onion is. They know of it. And the longer I've worked here, they've come to understand what it is and maybe it's what it has been meant to the culture, you know? <laughs> but it's not something that they immediately understand. So it's like if it's not something you immediately understand, people are like, "Ah, eh, that must not be anything, really. Mm-hmm. So try imagining then trying to explain <laughs> what a fake Twitter account for a fake television show character for a show that was cancelled seven years ago. Imagine explaining that to your parents. So like, actually hear someone and maybe this is my own issues that I need to sort out. But hearing someone say, it would be an honor to hear you read your tweets is <laughs> actually like very nice and refreshing. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like validating in this uh, in this kind of pathetic way. You
2: know? <laughs> no, we really would be delighted. I think it would be really wonderful.
1: <laughs> sure, I'd, I'd totally be down anytime.
2: So another yeah. thing I wanted to ask you about, which is not super nerdy at all is the list you wrote recently for McSweeney's. It was your favorite versions of iTunes. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. What do you want to
2: ask about it? How do you feel about the most recent version of iTunes?
1: Well, you know, the most recent one gets away from the bundling, and it's got a bundle OS. What what operating system are we on with uh, OS 7 or something?
2: I can't keep track.
1: If people look at the Wikipedia page for iTunes updates, and you read like which what each iTunes update, <laughs> what, what was contained in each iTunes update? It's hilarious. That stuff makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it makes sense to somebody, but it's just like uh, included bundling with OS, OS X Seven. Uh, uh, advanced uh, cleared up bug fixes in previous version of iTunes. It's very like curt, and <laughs> but I don't know what any of this stuff means. And then I just thought. When writing that piece, it would be really funny if somebody was very passionate about something that I, I think it's impossible to be passionate about. I mean, I'm sure that that's not true. I'm sure there are people who are huge Apple heads, huge like iTunes people who are like really into what each update is, and that I think is like insane in and of itself. So you know, <laughs> like oh my god, this update like included uh, it included sound synchronization.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Awesome, I've been waiting for that.
1: All I want is a product that I can hear the things through. That's all I want. (laughs) If I can hear my things through it, I'm happy.
0: Thanks to Seth Reese for talking with us. Definitely check
2: out The Onion Book of Known Knowledge, a definitive encyclopedia of existing information.
0: Sorry, I couldn't be in on that conversation.
2: We were both really sorry you couldn't join us for that conversation, too. But as an extra added bonus... I got Seth to call us and leave us a voicemail of some of his tweets as Matt Albee, who's one of the characters from Studio 60.
0: Out here,
1: floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, is where I get some of my best sketch ideas. Basically, Friday nights at 1130 is when people can tune into to MBS and get an hour and a half dose of the truth. Our season premiere was watched by 220 million people, and the satire was, well, quite deft. Hashtag death satire.
0: They're so perfect, and even though it's Seth's voice, I really hear Matthew Perry's voice, the actor who played that part, and Aaron Sorkin's voice, the writer who I love and love to be frustrated by sometimes, in those tweets. This is the brilliance of Seth Reese. Not only is he head writer of The Onion, his side project is being brilliant about something obscure and nerdy, too. But it's going to be our show now, and only
1: one of us can screw up at a time, and I think we both know that most of the time it's going to be me. You're the big shoulders. I hear you. Good. Because I don't remember what I just said.
0: Cocktails before homework? Not
2: this week. But next week, we're going to crack open the Nerdette Soda made by Megan Murphy Gill. The soda making was inspired by last week's interview with True Brews author Emma Christensen. Definitely be sure to check that out if you didn't hear it last week.
0: So one homework assignment this week comes from Seth Reese. My homework is assess your situation
1: and your posture and figure out whether or not you should use a
2: standing desk.
0: I thought it was really funny when he said that because I absolutely thought of your boss. My boss is going to love that. He is adamant about the standing desk.
2: Your other homework this week is to check out a movie that I just came across. It's from 2004, and it's an HBO movie. It's called Iron-Jawed Angels. Have you heard of it, Tricia? I remember when this movie came out, but I also have not seen it. Turns out it's really, really wonderful. It's about the women's suffrage movement in the early 1900s. And, you know, it wasn't one of those subject matters where I was like, oh, I definitely want to spend two hours learning about that. But it's a really wonderful movie. It's got Hillary Swank, a couple of other really well-known actors and actresses. I highly recommend it. I wept at the end. So be sure to check that out. Iron-jawed angels.
0: So this is a fictional portrayal of some great lady nerds of history then. It sure
2: is. Yeah. And a bunch of lady nerds that
0: I had never heard of, which is
2: always really exciting, too. So I think we're going to try and dig into that a little more in another episode also.
0: And don't forget that we want to know which lady nerds of history you think we should spend a little more time getting to know. You can always call us and tell us at 312-600-5638. That's it for today. Thanks for listening on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. And thanks for the stars. We do love stars. BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. This is Pottington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework.